This is the leaf goal. Ottawa comes so close. A hit on the boards. Elite pair is hurt. The Bengals run on. They score. Can't stop him. Morales coming out front of the net. He shot for the end. They score. And so, for the first time in NHL history, a game will be decided with a shootout. And away we go. Daniel Alfredson, the first participant in the first ever shootout, scores. And in comes Heatley with a chance to win it. Heatley scores. And the Ottawa Senators win on opening night in Toronto. The final score will read Ottawa 3, Toronto 2, as the Senators win the first ever shootout in NHL history. Shorthanded shoot, rebound, score! Nick Paul, a shorthanded goal with the box comes Zub. The foot pass ahead, Artem Zub on the breakaway. Zub in, scores! By Shabbat. Shabbat works in, feeds it back across, tap back to White, across to Brown, scores! Goes back to Shabbat, across he goes to Norris. Norris shoots, tipped in front by Kachuk, rebound, score! Lost the puck now to Shabbat, in comes Dadnov on the breakaway, Dadnov in, scores! Evgeny Dadnov, the overtime winner. And the Ottawa Senators come back from 5-1 down to win it Welcome to the third line plug is war. I am your host Taylor Gibson. Joining me as always from the tropical metropolis of Calgary, Alberta, my co-host Tim Jancy. Tim, how's it going, sir? It's going pretty good. And uh, anytime we get to write about beating the leaves, it's a good day. Yeah, man. Just like the great poet of our time, Ice Cube, once said, "Today was a good day." Actually, it was funny. Chelsea and I were talking about Ice Cube earlier today because we were talking about uh, uh, Jingle All the Way. Yeah. 
and how, like, everyone in that movie, like, fits the casting you would expect, except fucking Arnold Schwarzenegger. Yes. And I'm sure that's the comedy of having Arnold Schwarzenegger. Yeah, I was, I was trying to think about that myself. I was like, does he really fit? I guess he doesn't, but even, I guess for a movie like that, maybe he doesn't, but... In fairness, when you compare him with, like, Phil Hartman, who's the other dad in that movie, I can understand there's, you know, the difference oh, between... Phil Hartman totally fits that sleaze. Oh, ball. my God, does he ever... Like, he's he's totally Lionel Hutz. Oh, yeah. Yeah, he's a total Lionel Hutz in that movie. I think for myself, when talking about Arnold in the, those kind of movies, is I always go back to Twins. Because that's immediately what I think of with him and Danny DeVito, because that was <laughs> the joke, right? It was like, here's Arnold, who's, like, six foot two or whatever and Danny Vito's like five four, four or whatever he is if he's lucky if he's lucky man if he's lucky so Tim I'm very happy that we can get together today not just because this is the Battle of Ontario episode of the third Epoch Sensecast not only because we get to talk about an old school Ottawa Senators hockey team but we've got a big announcement to do right now Tim I'm so excited alert 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 so I'm very proud to announce that next Monday, March 29th, 2021, former Ottawa Senators social media guy turned producer of the Wally and Mathot show, Craig Medaglia, will be joining us for an exclusive interview. Oh, this is going to be fun. It is going to be fun. And, you know, this is probably, he, he's got to be the longest tenure that I think we've tried to get him for an interview. And it just, other things that ended up happening either on our end or his end, and it just never came to be, so I'm glad that we can finally get him on the show after... I th- oh, it's going to be fun. I think it's almost I'm... a year that we've tried yeah, to get... about that. It was about this time last year we tried to land him, and, you know, it just didn't work out, and we tried, we periodically would reach out, and yeah, it didn't work for either one of us, so we're like, okay, no worries, but we're glad that he finally agreed to come on back on. Yeah, yeah. If we had any sort of video editing skills, we'd make something like Borocop. Yeah. Although, and I know that you watched the latest episode of the Wally Mathot show with Eric Carlson. Oh. Craig Medaglia taking the baseball to the groin. That was so funny. Because, like, Carlson's, like, bragging it. He's like, yeah, this thing's gone. And it goes right into fucking Craig's nuts. It hit the tip of the bat and flew at him. The only thing they were missing on their social media page was the Hans Mole man getting hit by the football. It should have been a picture of, like, Craig and a baseball, just like, dink. Oh, good lord. Classic. You know what's also classic, though, Tim, is our cover athlete for today's episode, because today's episode is Season 4, Episode 10, in chronological order, Episode 87, the 1926-27 Ottawa Senators. So, just a little background about the Ottawa Senators of the 26-27 season. They had a 30-10-4 regular season record with Cy Dennehy leading in points with 23. They went on to win the Canadian Division, the O'Brien Trophy. It was the Canadian Trophy for their conference, the Prince of Wales Trophy, and the Stanley Cup, beating the Montreal Canadiens in the opening round, then beating the Boston Bruins in the finals in four games, which turned out to be their fourth Stanley Cup in seven seasons and 11 in total, including the pre-NHL days. One comment. You know how currently we are having the Canadian division and all this good stuff? Whoever wins this Canadian division this year, they will know they are not the only Canadian team that won the Canadian division at one time. Yeah. 
Because say the, say the Leafs do it, right? Say the Leafs win the, the Canadian division. They could be like, yeah, man, we the North. And it's like, yeah, well, I hate to break it to you guys, but we won the Canadian division and we beat the Bruins in the Stanley Cup. So, <laughs> fuck you. But it's just like looking back at the NHL at that point, it's so different. Like uh, the stat line for the playoffs, it was de- it was determined by how many goals a team scored, eh? Like you had the first round, the Ottawa Senators won the playoffs five goals to one, and uh, the Ottawa Senators won the Stanley Cup final with two three goal efforts, and the other two games were ties. Yeah, and obviously this is like the days before overtime came into fact. The shootout was obviously, I don't know how many, 80-something years before the fact. So, yeah, it, it is so weird when you see ties in the playoffs be, just because like we've always grown up with overtime in the playoffs. It just goes to whoever gets a winner. So, it kind of, but even in like other sports like soccer, for example, where they don't do that. They just go until, like, they go into penalty kicks and they end up winning it that way. So it is very, very strange. And even reading that, I was just like, it's kind of odd. Honestly, that's the one thing I didn't even know. I didn't realize it was based on how many goals you scored in the series. Yeah. Uh, other thing is, there's a like, there's a lot of famous names on this team, too. Like, you've got King Clancy, Frank Finnegan, and uh, Jack Adams. Was Frank, those are just names that are on trophies. Was Frank Finnegan on that team? Yeah. Really? 36 games, 15 goals. Schnazzy. I didn't even realize that. Yeah, he was uh, fourth on team scoring. boy, Frank. So, Tim, we got to talk about next week's cover athlete because next week's episode is Season 4, Episode 11, in chronological order, Episode 88. Now, of course, we don't have a hockey player that wore the number 88 for the Ottawa Senators, but we decided, in honor of them hitting their in quotes, 100th episode, we have decided to name the Sens call-ups as our cover athlete for next week's episode. Despite the fact that they called me out on Twitter and informed me that they have well past 100 episodes. I mean, part of me was tempted to have the Homer Simpson into the bush meme go there, but no, no. It, no, you shot your shot when it came to anybody having any memories of the 26-27 Senators. Your smart-ass comment was, was any of our listeners even alive 94 years ago? I hope they were. I'd feel bad if there was, like, one centurion listening to our episode being really called out by that comment. You know what? You know who I bet was old enough to remember that team? Is that rookie Russian that plays in the Minnesota Wild. Jesus Christ. Oh, God, I love that joke on Twitter. I just love it. Do they put up in, like, photos from the Soviet Union and stuff like that? Yeah, I think James Wood on Twitter, I think he posted a picture of the old, like, Soviet-Russian team from, like, the 70s. And he's just like, here's a picture of him as a rookie. Amazing. So good, man. It's so good. So, Tim, now that we've talked about our cover athlete for this week and we brought up our cover athlete for next week, i got to segue into my favorite little question i got to ask every single week. Our listeners need to know... How has your week been going? Uh, it's been all right. Actually, uh, we were talking about this uh, before we started recording, but uh, I'm recording on the opposite side of my office today because uh, my computer just decided to be a massive pain in the ass. 
Really? What exactly happened to your computer, Tim? So I was running updates on Thursday, and they took forever and then failed. Really? And the updates failed in such a way that uh, I think some of the internal, some of the Windows core files got corrupted. Because now I can't run any of the troubleshooters. I can't, I can't even turn on my antivirus. And Windows Update doesn't work anymore. You know, I'm honestly tempted to ask what kind of websites you've been checking out that made you do that. But, you know, I'm trying oh, to be a class actor here. That straight up did it. Because, like, all this stuff only started happening after the update failed. I know. That's why I didn't make the comment, Tim. Yeah, fair enough. But, uh, yeah, and then I tried to just reinstall Windows over that. And the Windows install, like, the just the Windows, Windows installed didn't even do anything. Like, it just sat there for a day and did nothing. So I think I'm going to have to go in, probably just nuke the current hard drive and start again. So basically what we're what I'm getting at here, Tim, is that your wife, Chelsea, is the true MVP? Yes. Yeah, because I'm using her computer record right now. Chelsea, you the real MVP. Thumbs up. So I guess I'll talk a little bit about my week, Tim, because, you know... This past week, a couple of things happened. Number one, my brother celebrated his 40th birthday on the 18th of March. And I know that you saw the video that I threw up on my Facebook. I threw up, I think I even sent that to you in the past. It was a cameo of Steve Dangle recording a birthday wish for my brother. My brother loved it, by the way. Oh, that's awesome. He's, I sent it to him. He's just like, holy shit, that's amazing. I just thought that's that's so cool because I know how big of a Leafs fan he is. I know he loves Steve Dangle, so to get that done for him, I thought was amazing, and I'm glad that he loved it. Now, the other thing I'm going to talk about this week, and I think everybody, it's not a secret. I like professional wrestling. That's mm-hmm. not a secret. I've talked about it on the show. I've brought it up in the past. So this past week was 316 Day. Now, for those who don't know, 316 is in reference to the wrestler Stone Cold Steve Austin my all-time favorite professional wrestler. And 316 Day, you know, it's one of those days that I understand it's kind of an internet thing and it's really cool to reminisce and think about Steve Austin and the Attitude Era and all that cool stuff. And I think for myself, 316 Day just means that much more for a couple of reasons. Number one is that Austin's match with Bret Hart, I believe it was WrestleMania 13, stuck in my mind since I was six years old. Because I remember my brother had this VHS of Steve Austin... I can't remember, it was like a documentary where WWF did at the time, and they had the match on that VHS, and I watched it, and even at six years old, and you keep in mind, my brother's never smartened me up to, this is not entirely real. So basically, my late brother, God rest his soul, he told me at six years old, when Kane was introduced, you know, Kane, the big tall wrestler, had the mask and everything, when my brother told me that him and The Undertaker were brothers in kayfabe, yeah. blew my mind. I was like, what? Those two are brothers? That's amazing. And so for myself, when 316 Day came up, and I was thinking about re-watching that match when I was a little kid, two things that really stick out for me in that, and I think I may have mentioned this in the past, that there was one spot in the match, I can't recall if it was Brett that put Steve in the ropes or the other way around, and basically it looked like he was trying to choke him out with the ropes. And the other one grabbed the the bell and it just went thong and hit him square over the head with it. 
And now keep in mind, they didn't hit him with the bell. They hit him with the little platform that's attached to. But just that dong sound when it hit him, I was just like, that's amazing. I don't, and I don't know why I instantly remember that. The other moment I remember, I think it's everybody has seen the picture when Steve Austin, he was split open, he's bleeding. Brett put him in the sharpshooter and he tries to break out of that. I will maintain to this day, I have never been scarred so badly than when I saw that for the first time. Because I'm six years old. I did not know this was not entirely real. real. Yeah. My brother's never smartened me up. And I'm sitting there on my on the floor watching it like, like, oh my god, what is going on? And I'm thinking, like, why is nobody jumping in the ring to help him? <laughs> and you know what's hilarious is years and years after the fact, I was listening to Steve Austin on his podcast talking about the very first time he ever watched wrestling and Dusty Rhodes, who's not with us anymore, the same kind of thing happened to him where he split open, he's getting the crap beaten out of him in the ring. And he asked his mom, how come nobody's jumping in the ring to help him? And I just went, oh my God, I can't believe that Steve Austin, the guy who 20 something years previous, I saw him in that movie and I thought the exact same thing. And I thought that was really, really cool. That's, that's actually pretty funny, all things considered, yeah. It is pretty funny. And you know, for me, I will maintain to this day, that's what probably made me a wrestling fan. And I, and I talk about this in the past. Like, I wasn't super diehard into wrestling when I was a kid. Mainly because it was only my brothers who were into it. My cousins were not into it. I wasn't really allowed to watch it at home. So, for me, it was like... Wrestling was kind of a thing that I watched when I was at my dad's place. Gotcha. Even though I played the video games, I still do. I actually played them this week. I just like... And I, I want to go back and play, you know, WCW, NWO Revenge. I want to play No Mercy again in WrestleMania 2000. So, I did that. And that's a really, really fun time. It still holds up pretty well. And, they were such unique fighting games, though, eh? Well, and here's the question, and I want to pose this to you, Tim, is that, and this has always been the debate, wrestling video games, do you consider them fighting games or sports games? Well, they're, they're fighting games. See, because you're fighting in them. Like, I know, but still, I think there's people that are very, people would still find it kind of a gray area, because if you think of... Would you call UFC a, a sports game? No, it's clearly a fighting game. I wouldn't myself. I get that, yeah, like a boxing game is not, like boxing is not a sports game, but they're marketed as sports games, even though they're clearly combat fighting. So yeah, I think no, for, I, for some people, that's very a gray area, right? No, it feels pretty clear that like the rest of the games, boxing games, uh, UFC games, that they're fighting games. Fair enough. I think the one comment, the one final comment I'll close out about 316 Day is that when I went back as an, as an adult in my early 20s, this after my brother passed away, and we had the American Netflix. And thankfully, American Netflix has all the WWE documentaries on there. Like it has Hulk Hogan and who else did it have? Uh, Andre the Giant. Some really cool ones, the ECW ones they had on there. The two ones they saw was the Steve Austin one, which is really well done. And the one about the Attitude Era. And the Attitude Era is one that really stuck with me. Because that's where I remember Kane and The Undertaker being brothers. And some of the spots in those matches. And I'm thinking about the Attitude Era myself. Is that I often wonder. In 2021. When you go back and re-watch some of those old. Raw's Wars and Smackdowns. And it does not really hold up as well as you think. And I often think is whether the Attitude Era was really that great. Or... They plugged into something that was the right place at the right time. 
and the right demographic. Like, and they hit it across the board. Hold up, do you mean like the choreographing and fighting isn't there? The story makes no sense. Uh, some of the, I would say a combination of both. Obviously, the matches are not as fluid. They're not as good. You can definitely tell like, it's pretty stiff and not as fluid as they are now. No, obviously, a lot of these wrestlers back then were like 260-something pounds, where compared to today where the wrestlers are like 225, 230, like there's obviously some speed to them, especially if you watch like All Elite Wrestling and some of the cool stuff they're doing in Japan. And I think for me... It's that plus some of the storylines, which you could never get away with today. If you go back, here's and I, this is a good one. They're wrestling with a rep drop. Imagine in 2021 bringing getting the Godfather, Val Venus, and Jeff Jarrett over. Nowadays, where the Godfather's a pimp, Val Venus was a porn star, and Jeff Jarrett was a misogynist. Yeah, no, that that doesn't fly to 2021. No, and just their. Their whole view, some of the depictions of women and LGBT and all that stuff in the Attitude Era. And I get it. It was a different time and different sensibilities than the late 90s or 2000s. But I think the good stuff that really is good really does hold up. Like the Austin McMahon feud still holds up. The Rock still holds up. Some of the really cool stuff holds up. It's just some of the the not so PC kind of stuff that they got away with then doesn't hold up today but then again wrestling was always trying to be really edgy uh not always like the wwf in the 80s wasn't they tried to market themselves as more being more family friendly and then huh. the 90s came around when they were getting their ass kicked with wcw and they're just like that's it take the barriers down dx is going out there steve austin's gonna go out there throwing middle fingers in a beer truck which that spot by the way him in the beer truck 22 years ago today such a great spot. I think, for me, I still think of the Zamboni. The Zamboni one where he came through the Titantron was still one of the greatest things I'd ever seen in my life. <laughs> so, another thing we need to talk about, Tim, and I'm going to segue away from wrestling, last week's episode. Because we had a very special guest on the show. We had Jackson Schwamm from New Era Sends coming on the podcast. So, I guess we could take this opportunity to talk about what was it like for yourself working with Jackson for the very first time? Yo, Senegal to Unity? Yeah, so good. That's You know what's funny? When we, and I could break kayfabe here, like when we opened, not Skype, when we opened Zoom with them last week, that was the yeah. first thing I noticed. I noticed the synagogue in the corner, and I was like, that is awesome. Yeah, and it was funny because he was like, yeah, yeah. Like, 100%, yeah, this is mine, it's cool. I know, but even, you know what's cruel for a guy who's also from Vancouver Island, he's born and raised out here, I really liked the story he tells about how he became a Sens fan and just for for such a young guy, because he's only in his early 20s, just how he became a Sens fan. Unlike ourselves, because when we became Sens fans, the Sens were like legit dominant. Like they were going into games knowing they're going to score five to six goals and win it. Yeah, so it's like, it's interesting just seeing that very strong family connection. For sure, man. I have to say, though, I really did like working with Jackson. He was just a great guy. Very informative. You can definitely tell he he knew his stuff for sure. And he was very open to us. Like, when he was talking about some of the points he was making, I thought, okay, that's pretty good. We kind of countered with some of it. And overall, I really liked having him on. I really love the fact that we can have, excuse me, somebody 
who's not super well-known on Sen's Twitter, not super well-known in the podcasting YouTube world. To bring him on, we can talk with him, and it's amazing. But New Era is definitely making their way. Yeah, and I actually saw... I, th- I believe if I'm not mistaken, they have a huge announcement coming in the next couple of weeks, so you might be seeing a potential network out of them. Ooh, fancy, fancy. Well, Tim, with that being said, it's time to segue into this little segment I like to call Top of the Hour. So, Tim, you know how last season when we talked about Top of the Hour, we usually would start Top of the Hour talking about a little Obi-Watch? Well, this episode is going to be no different. Washington Capitals captain Alexander Ovechkin has passed Phil Esposito for sixth on the all-time goals list with 718 and also became the 35th player in NHL history to record 1,300 points, passing Jerome Ginley for 34th on the all-time points list. Ovechkin has recorded 12 goals, 11 assists, or 23 points in 25 games for Washington at the time of the story it's insane that someone who's approaching 35 is still going a point per game in the nhl it is it is quite amazing and i don't know i think i might be wrong here i believe phil esposito tweeted at alex ovechkin and said that basically that he's the best goal scorer he's ever seen and that's no exaggeration when you think of just the the era that he came into the NHL of 2005 where they just took out the red line, you know, the, the clutching grab hockey of the late nineties or two thousands wasn't around anymore. But the fact is, is that the league became so much faster. The players became so much better. The equipment became so much better. And the fact is that Alex Ovechkin for as physical of a player he is, has not really suffered a major injury. He's 35 years old. and He's still going like this. Yeah, and it's a minor miracle, especially given how hard-nosed he'll play. He's so damn close to that number one. He is. I think he's like 175 or something goals away at the time of the story. Yeah, that's like two seasons. Two, three seasons. The question is, is is he going to be able to play him out? And I hope he can, man. Honestly, I think a big question is because he's an UFA this coming off season. Does he come back? Because basically, I, does, yeah. I really hope so too. But you know what you got to realize is that he's 35. He's won everything. He has nothing really to prove in the NHL other than this record. He might just say, you know what? No, I'm done with my NHL career. I'm going to go home and play in the KHL like the Ilya Kovachucks did when Yarmer Yager went over there for a few years. He might go that route. Because you know what? There's a Russian team out there. They will throw millions of dollars on him to come over. Yeah. You're right, he's like, there's nothing left for him to do, but I wanted to win that damn record. We also got to give a couple of shout-outs. First shout-out we're going to give it to is to Pittsburgh Penguins captain Sidney Crosby, who tied Denny Savard and Alexander McGillney for 53rd on the all-time goals list with 473. Crosby has recorded 11 goals, 18 assists for 29 points in 27 games at the time of the story. Now, you know how, sorry, you know how we were talking about Alex Ovechkin and how physical the guy plays? He hasn't suffered an injury. You have to imagine Crosby would have already hit 500 goals and passed it had he not had the serious injuries with the concussions in the early 2010s. Yeah, and it's like, I'm always amazed that Crosby was able to come back and play very close to some of his peak hockey after those 
injuries. It's actually nothing short of amazing. It is. And the fact is that Crosby came back and never even missed a beat. You know, because honestly, there was a period of time and I was maybe even one of those people that thought, is Crosby even going to come back? Because that's a that was two serious concussions he suffered back to back. Like, you would think the fact that he took a well over a year to come back from that and people were legit thinking maybe he isn't coming back. Maybe he's done. But even if he had retired in, say, 2011, six seasons in the NHL, won a Stanley Cup, won all kinds of awards... He pretty much had, would have nothing to prove at that point because he had already won everything by that time. That 2006-2007 season where he scored 120 points is still incredible. Well, you know what's incredible, Tim, is that he had 100 points the previous season as a rookie and he lost to Ovechkin. Yeah. So another shout-out we got to give it to is to Chicago Blackhawks forward Patrick Kane who passed... Joe Mullen for 70th and tied Ray Whitney's for 69th on the all-time points list with 1,064. Kane has recorded 12 goals, 30 assists for 42 points in 31 games for Chicago at the time of the story. I know we talked about this last time when we talked about Patrick Kane. How is this guy, after everything he's won, how is he still getting better? I don't know, Matt. I really don't. So we actually got a really, really cool thing to talk about right here. Minnesota Wilds forward Mats Zuccarello scored the Wilds' 4,000th goal in franchise history during their game versus the Arizona Coyotes. Zuccarello has recorded 5 goals, 14, 14 assists for 19 points in 16 games for Minnesota at the time of the story. When I hear Matt Zuccarello, I immediately think of the New York Rangers. So it's so weird to see his name tied with a milestone goal for the Minnesota Wild. I think for me, it's so weird that the Minnesota Wild, they're now hitting 4,000 goals. But it's also the fact that if you look at their all-time goals list, I mean, Aaron Gavrick's number one. That's that's a no-brainer. But the funny thing when I saw Marion Gavrick's goal totals for the Wild... My first thought was, really? He only scored 200-something goals? Like, he had played, uh, how many, nine, ten seasons with the Wild? But keep in mind, like, but obviously he was injured quite a bit with Minnesota, but Zach Parise is, like, third on that list. Yeah. And well, I, Zach Parise's been there for almost a decade now, eh? And I often wonder, if Zach Parise's contract wasn't that high, I often wonder, and maybe this is a hot take, would Zach Parise be considered one of the best forwards in Minnesota Wild ever had? Well, he definitely would have had more talent around him, like if his contract, if uh, Suter's contract weren't weren't so rich, right? Very true. So, like, that's definitely one of the things where you have to wonder if Minnesota hadn't handcuffed themselves as hard as they did, who else could have been on those teams? Yeah, but just excluding. And then losing Brant Burns, too. That was rough. True, but you know you got to realize, and I actually want to get your take on this, if you take away his cap hit, you take away the fact that it handcuffed the Wild, is Zach Parise one of the best Minnesota Wilds of all time? It's it's hard to say, because, like, he was very, very good 
very good at driving the puck and the on like his on paper results were good too and then Minnesota and Minnesota they never really had just like they're never been known for that pure offensive style no like they're called the mile for god's sakes it's true so yeah I could definitely see uh Zach Parise being one of the top like him Gabrick uh, Miku Koyevu are definitely in that conversation yeah that's a good point I'm just trying to think off the top of my head like outside of those three like who would be in the, the top five for the wild and I'm sure people might say god who would be a really good candidate for that you know what they could have they could even put Ryan Suter in that too because Ryan Suter's been very very good for the Minnesota Wild yes over his career totally well remember when the elite defensive pairing in the NHL was uh, Suter and Weber yeah and you know what's funny and I've said this before in the past is that if the Predators had kept Suter that means Shea Weber would have been a Philadelphia Flyer today yeah because remember that contract they offered him what was oh, it? the fucking offer sheet? Yeah, the 12-year, 100-something million dollar contract for the... I am... That's the one thing I am very glad that they got rid of is, like, the 12, 13-year contracts because those were so stupid even at the time that they came out. Like, the Ilya Kovachuk 15-year deal for the New, New Jersey Devils was just like, okay, so you're going to pay this guy until he's 42, but you're only going to pay him league minimum at that time? Yeah. Dumb. That's like... You're still going to have the cap weight. Yeah, and that's where I think I am good with the the eight year max. That I'm perfectly fine with. Yeah. Although that fucking Ovechkin contract, man. We talk about it every week. Talk about value, man. Talk about fucking value. So we actually got to give another quick shout out to Anaheim Ducks goalie Ryan Miller, who passed Dominic Hasek for 14th on the all time wins list with 391. Miller, drafted 138th overall by the Buffalo Sabres in 1999, has a 3-4-1 record with an 8-8-2 save percentage for Anaheim at the time of the story. Ryan Miller's such an interesting goalie because he's... I don't think he's a Hall of Famer, but he's been in so many really interesting events that even though he's not going to be inducted into the Hall of Fame, he's going to be mentioned in there all over the place. He like, he's on a he's on an all time wins list. He was part of the Golden Game in 2010. He won it as huh? cheating is the reason why the Americans one of the reasons why the Americans lost. And uh, he's when he was at his prime, those Buffalo teams were really good. Yeah, so, like, he's just so, so close to greatness, and like his career would be an interesting one just to study because he's done so much shit. Yeah, and the funny thing is, is that Ryan Miller, I would even argue Ryan Miller's prime came after the 06-07 season. Like when he won the Vesna in 2010 and he just, and he was, he went to the Olympics, he did all this stuff, but I see like his performance didn't really, it, it dipped a bit later on, but you could definitely know if that was his prime. The problem was with the Sabres really started to really fall apart by that time. But the one comment I will make, and I was just mentioning this now, it is very interesting and very kind of cool that Ryan Miller passed the single best goalie in Sabres history and Dominic Osik. 
because Ryan Miller is the number two there in Buffalo. And rightfully so, because uh, his years in Buffalo up until he was traded out of town, they were stellar. He only had one season, like one full season below point nine one. You can't ask for more. No, but unfortunately, it just wasn't enough to get the Sabres to that next next level. No. Actually, funny story about the last time the Sabres were in the playoffs that 2010-2011 season. I remember I was sitting in line for something at SakuraCon, uh, so that's Seattle's anime convention, and uh, I was sitting next to the Anime Expo uh, media team, and one of them was doing like a fantastic Cheryl Nomi cosplay. And we were talking, and she mentioned, and I asked if, I, if she had internet because uh, my phone didn't have any because roaming is expensive, right? Yep. And she's like, oh, what do you want to check? And I mentioned, oh, I want to check the NHL scores because the Vancouver game's on. And she's like, oh, my boyfriend's a Sabres fan. I'm like, <laughs> I looked her dead in the eye. It's like, I hope only bad things come to that team and that Lindy Ruff gets what's coming. Wow. And, and then I explained, oh, I'm a Senators fan. It's a pretty, it's a dirty rivalry. So she texts her boyfriend exactly what he said. And he's, he responded almost immediately. Tell the guy you're talking to, Spets have fucking deserved it. <laughs> that's awesome. Oh, that's so funny. Oh my God. I love it. So good. That's a, that's a one thing I totally, I totally forgot. And I totally, I wouldn't say I forgot. I totally miss is... Outside of the Canadian teams, Buffalo really was the team in the United States that we had the biggest rivalry out of. Oh, and that bench brawl really, really intensified it. And then the two, the playoff series afterwards was it was hard fought, even though we won it in five. Yeah, like that. That was good hockey, man. Oh, it's so good. You know what's funny? A couple of weeks ago at work in the student center they had Sportsnet on it so they're selling one of the classic games and i kind of poked my head around the corner i'm like oh that's cool okay whatever they're playing a classic game and i was like hey wait a minute i recognize that game buffalo's wearing their jersey it was game five it's game five of the 07 easter conference finals i'm like whoa i know this game i know who wins this it's amazing and i just i said to one of my coworkers, i said it's so nice that you know, the biggest Toronto homer being Sportsnet is showing us in this game where we actually win. Yeah. They like, the thing is, is, that's such a good closeout game too, especially with Alfredson's game-winning goal where he just tucks it around Ryan Miller's skate. Oh, so good. So good. Anaheim Ducks captain Ryan Getzlaff became the 55th player in NHL history and first in franchise history to record... 700 assists. Getzlaff, drafted 19th overall in 2003 by Anaheim, has recorded three goals, nine assists for 12 points in 29 games for Anaheim at the time of this story. So you know how, I believe it was two weeks ago, on top of the air, we are talking about Nicholas Backstrom. And I was saying how he's one of the most underrated playmakers in the NHL. I feel this guy right here. You want to talk about a guy who I've never thought got the recognition he deserved simply because he played for a West Coast team. Is this just because they beat us in five? No, it's not just because... No, he's really good. He is really good. 
I think in the grand scheme of things, I don't, me personally, and maybe people might disagree, I don't think Ryan Gesloff really got his due. Of people realizing how good he was. because, And even in the years where the Ducks were perennial playoff contenders, the Ducks were always like, oh yeah, they're the team, whatever. They were just kind of that team. Nobody really thought too much about them. They knew they were very physical. They knew they could play. But I think of the I think of Gesloff the thing, way I think about Corey Perry. Is I remember when Corey Perry won the Art Ross trophy in 2010? He had 50 goals and not a single person cared. Yeah. That's how I feel about Getzlaff. Getzlaff has 700 assists and people are like, "Oh. Good for him." Well, I think Ryan Getzlaff is probably going to be the quietest Hall of Fame induction. And the guy deserves it. He's got the cup, he's got the international hardware, and if he plays another season, he'll have a thousand points. It is true. But I, I'm thinking about this, because, you know, with Getzloff, everything he has, do you think he would... Do you Honestly, do you think he would have had that much more recognition if he had played for an East Coast team? Uh, yes and no. Okay. Yes, because he's in the East Coast media environment. No, because... I think there was something really special about those early 2000s Anaheim teams where just all the pieces were moving together in the right direction. And I wonder if Getzlaff leads a team the same way he does outside of Anaheim. It's it's a hard question for sure. It is. And I think because for myself, like obviously for me, I think he did get some recognition from the Sportsnet Pacific crew, because, because, you know, they're out of Vancouver, Anaheim played in the same... No, they didn't play in the same division as the Canucks did, but they played in the same conference. They always played the Canucks. So I think the media out West, I think they recognized that Getzlaff was that good. But a lot of, like, the T, like TSN didn't really recognize him. And a lot of, like, the Sportsnet on the East Coast didn't really recognize him. I also think, though, with Getzlaff is that... Unless you are an absolute bona fide generational talent or you're super out there, you don't get as much recognition on a West Coast team. That's true. It's just I don't know what East Coast team he would have slotted into the same way. You know? Well, and I'm and I'm thinking about this because there, there's a couple of teams that I can kind of see. I could see maybe Washington. Imagine him. Maybe Washington. Maybe. Oh, what about those late 2000s Tampa teams? Under Guy Boucher. That might have worked. I could I could kind of maybe see that. I'm just trying to think, like, who would who would have really done well? And I think you would have had to have some really good talent. Maybe the Rangers. If he had played for, like, the Rangers teams. Maybe the Rangers. The Rangers, he could have been a really good one. If, say... Maybe the Jets. Winnipeg. Maybe. Uh, well, even, Atlanta, yeah. Yeah, if, even if he was a complimentary piece in, say, New Jersey or maybe the Islanders. But I think out of all the teams, there's one team in particular he would have been absolutely perfect for the way he played and the style that he played. Philadelphia. Yeah. He would have been. He would have been a perfect flyer. Actually, he wouldn't have been a bad leaf fighter. Okay, now you're just pushing it too far, Tim. We're going to move on to our next story. 
<laughs> it would have been better than Lindros. Like, concussioned out Lindros. That is true. That is true. I will give you that. But, you know, or, or even Montreal. He could have been a perfect hab because that's what they've always needed and wanted. They've wanted that big centerman that they've just never had since... I couldn't even tell you the last time they had a big centerman. Well, they got Josh Anderson, who's really come back into form. He has. He's been great, him and Tyler DeFoley. Yeah. Honestly, you got to credit Bergevin there. I do. I'll give him that. You know, a few minutes ago, Tim, I was I was talking about uh, you don't get as much recognition on the West Coast unless you're a bona fide generational talent. Well, we're going to talk about one of those. Edmonton Oilers captain Connor McDavid has moved past Ryan Nugent Hopkins for ninth on the Oilers franchise all-time goal list with 182. McDavid, drafted first overall in 2015 by the Edmonton Oilers, has recorded 20 goals, 38 assists for 58 points in 33 games for Edmonton at the time of the story. It's a fucking hardcore list too, eh? Because the guy on top of that list... You might know. Yep. Although, and you know, we were talking about Eric, not Eric Lindros, we were talking about Alex Ovechkin passing Gretzky's all-time goals list. If Connor McDavid plays his entire career in Edmonton, how much you would have bet he passes Gretzky's the all-time Oiler point point Oh, 100%, because I think a good chunk of uh, Gretzky's points do come in L.A. and in New York. Well, definitely in L.A., because he only played three seasons in New York. But if you don't mind just looking that up, Tim, just the all-time Oiler, just so I can – because I can't think off the top of my head how many points Gretzky had in Edmonton. But, yeah, McDavid is somebody who – there's not much really we can add to this because we've talked so much about him. I will say the one thing, though, 100%, I am going for him to win the Art Ross, the Hart Trophy, and the, and the Rocket Richard Trophy. You know why? Because fuck Austin Matthews. I don't want to see him win any of those things. Same. Okay, so Gretzky got 16, 000, sorry, 1,600 points, 1,669 points, 583 goals, and 1,000 assists, 1,086 assists while he was in Edmonton. The next closest was Yari Curry with 474, 569 for 1,043. Okay, so at at worst, he'll be the what the second highest scoring Oiler in all time history. Yeah, that's if he plays his entire career and he stays healthy. Pretty much, but then again, like if he'll, prob- I wouldn't be surprised at the rate he's going. He closes in on Doug Wade. Oh yeah, all of those guys like the Dougie Waits and Mark Messiers and all those guys; those records are going to be broken. Oh, yeah. Watches like one after the other after the other. McDavid's gonna shatter all of them. So yeah, it's kind of fucked. It is kind of fucked. But you know what's not fucked, Tim? Is that the Buffalo Sabers? They fired their head coach after how many games did they lose straight? 13, 12, 12 13 games straight. They they were on a they were on an Ottawa skid for sure. I don't think I've ever seen a team. One play that badly, and two lose as many games until maybe the Cleveland Cavaliers post LeBron James the first time, or even the Vancouver Grizzlies of the NBA. Because I don't, 
But for the NHL, though, this is embarrassing. I, I'm sorry, Buffalo fans, but it's just embarrassing. Buffalo Sabres have fired head coach Ralph Kruger after one and a half seasons and was replaced by assistant coach Don Granato. Kruger was hired as Sabres head coach in May of 2019 and recorded a 36, 49, and 12 record in 97 games. So, Ralph, on behalf of the Buffalo Sabres and their fan base, we want to thank you for all your hard work and everything you've done to turn this team around. After that 12-game streak, though, Ralph, you're fired. Doesn't even get the voice. Yeah, that's a 13-game losing streak. Although you know what, I can't, NHL I can't even muster that it. up for him. I can't even do that because it's just like these guys clearly are, don't care. Why the hell should I? Yeah, fair enough. But then again, like the NHL would only count it as a six-game losing streak because the first loss was in OT, and a loss in the middle was in the shootout. But like some of these losses are just like, like there was a six-nothing against Washington Capitals. Which I think was the was uh, the straw that broke the camel's back there, but it's this is a team where it's like, what the hell is going on? Like I actually liked a lot of their offseason moves with like picking up Eric Stahl, picking up uh, T- Taylor Hall, and it just didn't freaking work. You know what though? You look at all of the moves that they've made over the last decade. How many of every single move blew up in their face? Kyle Alcaposo, blew up in their face. Jeff Skinner, after their first year, blew up in their face. I don't want to say Robin Leonard blew up in their face, but Robin Leonard, unless he's playing Ottawa, he didn't do great in Buffalo. The only guy that they have brought in who didn't completely blow up in their face is Jack Eichel. And you know what? For a long time, their temp- yeah. I was always... I was never an Eichel guy. I always said, you know what, kid? You're in a rebuilding team. You need to be the guy that tries to steer the ship. Because he always came off as just being all about himself. When Dan Balsma was there, he wanted him fired. After his sophomore season in Buffalo. And it's like, what the hell are you doing, kid? You only have two years there. You don't have the merit. You don't have the... You know, you don't have the tenure or anything to do it. But after all this time... I feel bad for Jack Eichel and Buffalo. It doesn't matter. Jack Eichel could score 200 points next season and Buffalo would still miss the playoffs. But I also well, think, like, how much Buffalo of that is really put on the Sabres? On by their goaltending. Like, oh. like, everything's going wrong for Buffalo. Like, the goaltending sucks. People who watch the team closer say that Ralph Cooper's coaching style makes no sense. Like, even in, uh, like, the much maligned uh, Jeff Skinner, like, the guy's playing – he's playing better than the rest of the team, and he's been forced to fourth-line minutes. You know, I'm, I'm honestly, at this time, I'm almost at a loss for words to really what to say about Buffalo. Because, I mean, you know, and I – you know who I feel for? Is the fans of Buffalo. But – what, you know, when you talk about who's to really blame in Buffalo for this, is it the coaches? Is it the management? Is it the players they bring in? Is it the Bagulas? It's the it is. That's who's to blame. It's the Bagulas. You want a perfect example why this is the Bagulas' fault? Look at the other team in Buffalo, the Bills. 
when the Bagulas bought them. The Bills were so terribly run that the Bills were one step away from becoming the Cleveland Browns of the NFL. And they were terrible. And now the Bagulas have taken... Pretty much have, they have a hands-off approach with the Bills. And they're looking like they're going to dominate the AFC East for the next 10 years. Because the team is that well put together in Buffalo. The Bagulas have next to nothing other than they sign the paychecks and here you go. The Sabres, their hands in, is in everything. Like Terry's wife, I believe, is like the president or something of the Sabres right now. A lady who has no experience running a hockey team. A lady who basically, from what I've heard from and what I've read about, is basically enforcing a culture, like a toxic culture in the Sabres front office. I I don't even know what to say anymore about the Sabres. Like, I honestly feel bad for them because you know what? I, it sucks for the fans too because like, Sabres fans are a passionate bunch. They are. Like they love that team. Like I've met, I've met a decent number of Sabres fans just in my travels. I actually, I remember watching a hockey game at a Sabres bar when I was in Rochester, and yeah, they they love that team, even though it's just absolute dog shit. You know, and I think for myself, one of the reasons why I feel so horribly for the Sabres fans is that look at the team that we cheer for. Look at what Eugene Melnick put us through. So we get that side of it. We get, as Senators fans, we get where the Sabre fans are upset. We get why they are just, they're, they're so bitter. Like, there's so much bitterness towards the Bagulas, even though they are the only reason the Sabres are still in Buffalo today. But they're also the reason that the Sabres have, I wouldn't even say hit the mountain, they've, they just completely sunk into oblivion. And, like, the thing is, though, is it's, like, it's not an easy fix either. Because, like, you have to rebuild so much from, like, the top down, even once. Because even if uh, the Pagulas take a step back, you have to make sure you get someone that's, like, a president of hockey operations that can actually build an effective working culture. And then rebuild the team from there. Because, like, if things are as toxic as some people say, they are, holy shit. So we're going to close out top of the air by talking about a suspension. Minnesota Wild defenseman Carson Sosi was suspended one game without pay for charging Arizona Co- Arizona Coyotes forward Connor Garland. Sosi is not a repeat offender. I don't like the hit. I really don't. It was ugly. But you know what? It is ugly. From like straight up. I don't think he was injured on the play, so that's that's a good thing to see. But yeah, when you hit a guy square in the face with your elbow, that's suspendable. No problem. Cut and dry. Oh, 100%. And I'm, I'm glad that they, they made that call, to be honest. Because sometimes... Like sometimes it just feels like uh, the NHL really misses the mark, and yeah, I think that they they got it right this time. Well, Tim, I guess that wraps up top of the hour for this week, which can mean only one thing: it's time to talk about the games. Now we got three games to talk about. We've got 
the Battle of Ontario between the Leafs and the Sens, and two games between the Vancouver Canucks and the Ottawa Senators. But before we do that, Tim, if you want to see me head off into these games, give me a hell yeah. Hell yeah. Okay, Tim, let's start talking about the Leafs versus the Senators. This is a 4-3 Senators victory. Leaf goals are scored by Zach Hyman with two and John Tavares. Senators goals are scored by Drake Batherson with two, Brady DeChuck, and Ryan Dezingle. Shots were 36-31 for the Leafs. Brady DeChuck opens the scoring to make it 1-0 Senators. Ryan Dezingle scores seconds after the fact to make it 2-0. Zach Hyman scores to get Toronto on the board to make it 2-1 on a scramble. Drake Batherson scores to make it 3-1 Senators, alone beside the net. Batherson gets a second of the night to make it 4-1. Hyman gets a second of the night to make it 4-2. And John Tavares scores to make it 4-3 Senators, which would be the final. So I had to condense watching this game because we were recording last week with Jackson Schwamm. Joey Decourt. And then we watched the last five minutes. That's true. Joey Decourt. First NHL win with 33 saves, a .917 save percentage. I gotta say, the only comment I can really make on this, that post-game interview. If there was anything in this world that would have made somebody love, like a fan base love a player, it was that. Because you saw just the emotion he had in that post-game. Well, he was just so, so damn happy about it too, eh? Like, it was just like, uh, like, I gotta thank all these people, I gotta, uh, I, uh, and it, he was, he was lost for words. I know, and the, and the whole Sense Twitter community just came together and was just like, you know what, we love this. Like, you can tell the emotion, you can tell how happy he is, and we were happy for him. Yeah, and he played a good game. He did play a really he played a really good game in that one. And the nice thing about Decord is that he brings a lot of confidence, but he brings a stability to goal in the centers. Now, of course, he did get injured later this week when we talk about that later on. So there is a few players we're gonna talk about. Drake Batherson. Two goals on four shots. Man, that guy looked fantastic in this game. Well, his release and position and ability to just get to scoring spots on the ice and fight his way to them. It's fantastic. Like he is going to be an effective top six pace for his entire career. Yeah. Because yeah, he is just very creative, very strong on the puck. And him and Stutzla work so well together, but it's not like one of them's coasting on the other. Well and Bath is really one of those guys that it's really great to see he found his game in the NHL level. Because I think he was a guy that a lot of people were very high on him, but I think there was always that question of, will he really find it in the NHL? And I'm glad that he did because he's well, Drake Batherson's found money, right? He is, and I know that he's he's an RFA this coming off season, so it will be very interesting to see how much the team's going to pay him because he has yeah. proven to be a very very good top six forward for the Senators. Yeah, like that's part of the reason why I'm very very optimistic about the current Sens rebuild because they've got found money all over the place here. Yeah. Like they're going to be, they're going to be playing with house money for the next how many years, right? Because a lot of these guys like Brady's an RFA, Batherson's an RFA, 
Stutzla is going to be an RFA in a couple of years. Shabbat's already signed long-term. Norris. I mean, these kids are going to be so good. The big question for me is, will Eugene Melnick really follow through in paying these guys? That's going to be the big one. And I can kind of see it because Seattle's coming into expansion and Melnick's going to get some money for the expansion fee, right? So there could be some money right there where we might be thanking Seattle for keeping our guys around. Mm -hmm. Oh, for sure. But the other thing is, it's just a lot of the current players that the Ottawa Senators have, like among the Ottawa Senators players, there's a lot of late round picks here. Like you've got Drake Batherson in the fourth round. You've got... Joey Decord in the seventh round. He was the final draft pick of Brian Murray. Yeah, he was Brian Murray's last draft pick. Brian Dezingle is another seventh. Kevin Mandelis is another late guy. Hogberg's a third rounder. Will Lannan's a fourth rounder. This is the difference between Ottawa and Edmonton and Buffalo. Late round pick success. Yeah, and I wonder how much of that is really a thanks to the scouting department in Ottawa, right? For such a small scouting team that we have, that we've been able to find these diamonds in the rough. And we also can't forget, they're not exactly late, like they're not late round draft picks, but even the kids coming out of Nodak over in Europe, you know, you had Igor Sotokov, he's coming over. You had um, Mele Lincoln or whatever, the, the goalie from Finland. Apparently he's doing really well over there. So yeah, I'm very excited, man. It's just going to be a matter of, are the Senators going to put all the pieces together? And honestly, I think the Senators would be a much better team than they are if the goaltending to start the season wasn't all over the place. Because, like, this is a team that they are very capable of producing offense. The defense, the defense I think, will come. And once they get some stable goaltending, I think this is a team in the next year or two that can at least be a playoff contender. Yeah. Well, now thanks to Joey Decord, who's really emerging as being the guy right now. Well, let's see what Goose can do too, eh? Yeah. I'm honestly open to anything right now because Matt Murray's been pretty much been a bust. I think we that's pretty safe to say, even though I can't blame it all on him at times, but... Still, the fans are saying he's a bust, and I'm just like, I can't disagree necessarily with that comment, but I think he can still turn it around. It's just a matter that the team has to play better in front of him, too. That's true. That's it's true. a team effort. So the other guy I want to talk about is Brady Chuck. One goal, one assist on six shots. Can we talk about that goal celebration, the, the, the Chucky shuffle? Oh, that was fun. I thought we were going to talk about how that poor man could not put it into the empty net to save his life. Well, we can talk about that if you want, Tim. Like, he did the hardest parts excellently. Like, just getting the puck out of your zone with control against, like, a five, like a six-on-five or a six-on-four is really flipping hard. He did it twice. And then just completely missed the net so it's like you gotta feel for brady because like he did the hardest parts he just couldn't get the reward you know sometimes it doesn't work right obviously you can put all the hard work in but sometimes you just don't hit the mark yeah but honestly you got you gotta respect like 
Ottawa being able to close out essentially five minutes of six-on-five hockey. And there was that the disallowed goal from Engvall, which should not, in no world, that was a goddamn goal. Nope. And some really hairy moments in the last, last, I'd say like the, like from the ran for three minutes left to about one minute left, it was like Decord held the fort down. But after that, Ottawa, once they got the puck, they did not give that sucker up. It was actually kind of weird to watch them almost skate a lap of the leaf zone because they never really got a good shot on the net, the empty net, but they kind of maintained possession the whole way through. And it's kind of weird to watch, eh? It is. So the two for two final comments I want to make is obviously the Sens are using the reverse retro jersey in this game. That jersey still, I don't know about you, that still hasn't grown on me. At times I look at it, I'm like, oh, okay, I can kind of see it, maybe, sort of. But it's just, I don't know. It st- still doesn't do much for me. Now, the one comment I do want to make, and I made this to you last week after we recorded, the Leafs wore their St. Patrick's Day jersey. Have they ever won a game in Ottawa while wearing those? don't think so. I don't think oh, they have. the Irish, my ass. But, <laughs> exactly, right? But, you know, I was talking with you before after we recorded last week. Do you know why they wear those jerseys? No, but it's a good story. Okay, so... Well, I didn't until you told me, I mean. <laughs> so apparently the story I told you was kind of true, but also not kind of true. Because I talked about King Clancy, who played actually played on the 26-27 Senators team. Now, he did wear a green jersey on St. Patrick's Day. Because the Leafs did a King Clancy night, and he was the one that wore it. That's not entirely why they wear it on St. Patrick's Day nowadays. They wear them in honor of the Leafs' original moniker, the Toronto St. Patrick's. The team is purchased by a group led by Con Smythe, who then renamed the team the Maple Leafs in 1927. Yeah, and it's funny that uh, that piece of history is one of the ones that continues on. There's some really interesting stuff happened around Toronto's bottom line sorry their lower lines where you basically had a lot of players not playing a lot of hockey boyd and vc played they're basically stable to the bench they played less than 10 minutes uh well we might talk about this next week but both of those players are now vancouver canucks yep it was right after that game is when vc got clicked by the canucks but i i saw somebody on twitter they're just going like Oh, I see the Canucks are going after the, all the Leafs uh, scraps or whatever. And I honestly want to comment on our show's Twitter page of, oh, please, Ottawa's been doing that for a while now. <laughs> Bogosian also played eight minutes, which is honestly kind of surprising. And uh, Michael Hutchison started the game, left the game after, I want to say, yeah, after <laughs> the second goal. <laughs> On three shots. That, those are so soft, those goals. They were super yeah. soft. It was. I just went, wow. You literally, it looked like a little noodle arm throw at him. It gone, it went in. Yeah, and it's just Hutchinson. Every time the Leafs have to go to that well, it's a nightmare for them. Like, I don't think that guy's going to be an effective NHL backup at this point. And, well... He's probably just there because he has to be at this point because I think Toronto is nursing quite a few goalie injuries themselves. Well, I know they have Jack Campbell right now who's playing for the Leafs and playing somewhat decently from what I understand that 
they're riding with him right now, which is causing a little bit of a goalie controversy on Leafs Twitter. But, you know, come on, Leafs Twitter. Be like Sense Twitter and have some fun. Yeah. Well, like Anderson's now injured. So, yeah. And I think Jack Campbell was injured. So they had Hutchison in. And, yeah. That's definitely not the situation they want to be in. No, not at all, man. Not at all. So, Tim, do you want to head off into the second game of the evening between the Canucks and Sens? Yeah, let's do it. Canucks versus Senators. This was a 3-2 to two Canucks victory in overtime. Canucks goals were scored by Chase Harlock, Tanner Pearson, and JT Miller in OT. Sens goals were scored by Josh Norris and Colin White. Shots were 46-28 for Ottawa. Ottawa outplayed Vancouver throughout this game. Both teams started off this game slowly. As the game went on, both teams took turns dominating the play. However, the bounces went for Vancouver, which helped them get the W in the end. So there's four players I want to talk about. Let's start off with our sweet German boy, Tim Stutzla. One assist and three shots. Now, this is something that I noticed in this game, and I made the mention to you, is that Tim Stutzla, I've noticed... Whenever he gets the opportunity to shoot, he passes. And I think those are the kind of times when he comes down the right side, he he's always looking over. It's like, is Drake going to be there? Or is Brady going to be there? Is Josh going to be there to try and get a pass over? Those are the kind of moments he kind of needs to fake and then get one off. Because he would bury him top corner, no problem. Yeah. At the same time, though, it's like it's always interesting to see the sorts of passes that he is able to make. Because they're usually pretty damn good plays. Yeah, I'm not like I'm not criticizing his playmaking or anything on that end, but I'm more or less thinking about his shot. Because 100, yeah. percent the kid's got a wicked, deadly shot on him. He just needs to utilize a little bit more in those kind of opportunities when he gets them. I'm not saying to be a puck hog, but definitely get a shot off when you can. For sure, I really liked Ottawa's team play in this game. I did too. Very structured, very good at getting the puck out, and they drew a ton of penalties. Like, uh, this probably was one of their more complete team games. They were able to get into the slot pretty much at will, and Thatcher Demko put on a goddamn clinic. Oh my god, I was saying it to my coworker the next day. I said, you know what? You were lucky that the Sens hit the post so many times in that game, because we could have won that 5-2, to two, no problem. Fifty-seven shot attempts, three point six expected goals. Thatcher Demko outdid himself, and that's just at even strength. And another expected goal on the power play. Like, yeah, Ottawa could have easily won that, like five to three. Easy, they could have. Now, given that we're talking about Thatcher Demko, Tim, let's talk about our goaltender, Joey Decord. Twenty-five saves, a point eight nine three save percentage. I'm not going to blame him on the goals because honestly, despite his stat line, I thought he looked pretty good in this game. Yeah, like the play that led up to the higher luck goal was honestly pretty broken. Yep. And Vancouver did come out strong. Yeah. Sorry, can I make one comment here? How many of us actually forgot that Jace Harlock is a Vancouver Canuck? Uh, most is, I think most of Sense Twitter puts their hand up there. And you know what's kind of... I'm not surprised that Ottawa was a bit disjointed on the second... This is game two of back-to-back, right? Mm. After they beat the Leafs. I believe... Yeah. Was it? 
think it was. Yeah, because they played yes. on the 14th. Okay, yeah, that's right. Against the Leafs and the 15th against the Canucks. And then all of a sudden, just the lights go on and Ottawa basically controls this game through the rest of it. The Tanner Pearson goal was fluke. Yep. Best way you can put it, really. Yeah, like it was just, it was a weird bounce that they got around to court and it was just, okay. That's how it's going to be tonight. Brady Tuchuk is definitely a guy I want to talk about with one assist on six shots. You know what? We were talking about this earlier that the Sens hit so many posts in this game. He was one of those guys that just could not buy one in this game, especially on that shot where he beat Demko clean and it hit the crossbar. Oh, fuck. Is there, Ottawa hit every post in the game. I have Holy to say, is there, a worse, is there a worse feeling for a hockey player when you beat a goalie clean and it hits the crossbar? I don't know, man. But it's like, when you're looking at stat lines, Brady Kachuk generates so many goddamn expected goals, but then the guy is just so snake-bitten. Like, he has a respectable goal line just because he generates so many goddamn opportunities. Like, it's not even funny. It's not, man. But one guy who did actually buy one in this game was Josh Norris. One goal and two shots... I actually really liked him in this game. Yeah, and I, I really do like Josh. Like, Josh Norris, he's, I think he's a bona fide number one center. The only thing he doesn't have is size. It's the only thing he doesn't, like, he's not 6'3", 200-something pounds. But you know what? I think it's like the league gets smaller and smaller. Maybe a guy who's like 5'10", 5'11", maybe that is a number one center in the NHL. Well, it's like he has the skills. The hockey IQ is there. I think, and I think he's putting it together. I think that, I think we have something special in Josh Norris here. I think so. So Tim, we're gonna move on. Actually, sorry, one final note I want to make on this game. It has nothing to do with this game at all. I was actually off work that day because it was on a Monday, so it was my very first time ever using DoorDash. Uh-huh. No. And There's DoorDash and Duncan. Yes, we have DoorDash and Duncan now. There's only like a handful oh, of restaurants oh. in town that have it. So I ordered, you know, and I'll be honest, I, ha- I had a couple beers during the game and I was just like, you know what? I'm weirdly craving McDonald's right now. I ordered oh. McDonald's off DoorDash. Oh, I will never order McDonald's off DoorDash. The fries were disgusting. They were, ru- they were soaked. They were cold. Number one, I refuse to eat them if they're cold. The burger was not that good. Number two. It's McDonald's. I know it's McDonald's, but still. If you're if I'm gonna order something, you better make sure it's hot. And this is why I go to like Wendy's, because Wendy's is always hot when I get their food. Yeah. And I don't know if I mentioned this, but I did try Baconator last month. Good stuff. How was it? Pretty good, actually. It's basically meat, cheese, and bacon. Yeah, I guess you can't screw that up. No. Ooh, yeah. I like how you didn't call it beef, you called it meat. Meat, yes. You know, I will say the only comment, and maybe maybe they've done this before at Wendy's, <coughs> you know, like the uh, the portobello mushroom melts that they have. Yep. What if they got like the mushrooms and the melt, like the cheese melty sauce? What if they put it on a baconator? Well, that, that that does sound good. Oh, one last thing I do want to talk about this game, and it's a point that carries over to the next game. Gabranson's in the fucking doghouse. He plays. 12 minutes in both games. Will Lannan, who happened to be his defense partner that night, also played about nine. And 
that's not a good place to be if you're supposed to be the stabilizing veteran. Yes, ha ha ha, yes. And uh, picking up the mo- minutes were Shabbat, Zaitsev, Riley, and Zub. I'm okay and with that. That I'm really happy. Like, the Riley-Zub pairing is a surprising bright spot of the year. Like, talking about found money. Well, you know what, man? When we get into the third game of this evening, we're going to be talking about some real found money. But you know what? I think let's do that. Let's talk about the third and final game of the evening. Canucks versus Senators. This is a 3-2 Canucks shootout victory. Canucks scores scored by Brock Besser, Bo Horvat, and Adam Gaudet in the shootout. Sens goals scored by Ryan Dezingle and Josh Norris. Shots for 32-29 for Ottawa. A somewhat even game overall. Both teams took turns in the first and second period outplaying the other, with the third being a fairly even and exciting overtime, which led to a nail-biting shootout. Okay. <laughs> Excuse me. First guy I want to talk about, I would love to get your take on this guy. One assist and two shots, and I really did like his game in this one. Clark Bishop. I have been very happy with Clark Bishop. Like, again, talking about fat, like the two pickups from Carolina, Clark Bishop and uh, Ryan Zingle have been playing really well, and Clark Bishop had himself a goddamn game. Oh, man, to Zingle. I, I love it. I love I loved the fact they brought him back, and it's so weird. What is it about Ottawa that... Our guys who we draft, they find their scoring touch in Ottawa, and once they leave, it's like they lose it. Unless you're like a Mika Zibanejad, or... No, I guess Zibby's really one of the few guys I think he can even refer that to. The guys we've drafted that have gone on to have their scoring touch stay with them in other teams. Yeah. Well, Marion Hosa. True. Actually, yeah. Okay, Hosa. Yeah, Marion, I'll give you that. Char, Char, we didn't draft him. Spez, we, yeah. The first two years of Spez in Dallas, he still had his touch. Yep. Um, but yeah, it was that bottom, that bottom pair line of Dezingle, Bishop, Watson. They played about 10 minutes of ice, and it was a damn good 10 minutes. Yeah, Watson's really fit into a role that we needed him for. And it's funny because he was a guy... How did he come back? I don't know. And the funny thing about Watson, Tim, is that... You know, when we had Trevor Shackles on during our season preview show, that was one of the big things we asked him because he was so against bringing Watson in. But I said, you know what? I'm willing to give him a chance. If he succeeds, great. If not, we can cut him loose. And honestly, I would be fine to keep him. In that fourth line role, like with Clark Bishop. Like, honestly, I would be okay to keep those guys around. Yeah, well, with Watson, it's like, I I don't, he is, imagine having him and Borbietsky on the same team. Like, that'd be, that's all the leadership you need. Like, Watson gets hit in the neck with a puck. He comes, he leaves. Like, he's in distress, and he comes back, and uh, the TV crew's marking that you can read the brand of the puck on his neck. And he's out there, and he's still blocking shots. Like, that's insane. And at the same time, he's on the right side of this. He's on the right side of the puck most of the night. Like, it's exactly what you want out of your third line, your fourth line guy. That Dezingle Bishop Watson line has been—it's been good. 
So we're talking about foul money. Another guy we'll talk about, Ryan Dezingle. One goal and four shots. Thought he played a really good game in this one. And I really liked his energy. It's, like I said before, it's so great to see that he found his scoring touch again in Ottawa. Yeah, and we were able to turn two guys who weren't working out into one guy who's been, he's been great. He's on the right side of the puck most nights. He's fast. He's got a really nice shot. And uh, in the small amount of ice, well, not even a small amount, he's, he's playing like 15 minutes a night. He's playing good hockey. What do you think about the Horvat goal? The Horvat goal. Should that have counted? Or moreover, how the hell was that not a penalty? You know what? I can't... I hate to say it, I so, can't recall the Horvat goal off the top of my head. What happens is uh, Holang, Holanger meets Oh, Shabbat. okay. Sorry, I do know exactly what you're talking about. Yeah, the Shabbat on uh, Ho- Horla- uh, Hoglander on Shabbat. No, what that totally should have been a penalty. 100%, that should have been a penalty. And you can and see think, Shabbat on the bench going, what the fuck are you doing? Why is this not a penalty? Yeah, because that was the turning point in the game, honestly. Yeah, actually, I do want to talk about that over... I, was it this game? Yes, it was this game. There was a moment, I like, I didn't watch, didn't see the overtime. There was a moment, Evgeny Dadunov went offside in the OT. People on Twitter were talking about this. I'm not sure if you recall this at all. Like I said, I didn't see the third. I didn't watch the overteam, the overtime. So I have no comments about that. If this is the correct game that I'm thinking about. Yes. I, no. I think so. Sorry, it's the game previous that we were talking about. Um, Something like that. Anyway. I don't recall. Yeah, I figured just to bring that up because I I couldn't find any clips about it. I know people on Twitter were talking about it, but other than that, I can't seem to find anything about it. But while we're on the subject of this game, another guy I want to talk about was Josh Norris, once again. One goal and four shots. Again, this is another game where I really, really liked him in it. He breaks his best against the Canucks. Like, that's fair. Well, in fairness, he is a former Shark draft pick, so it would make <laughs> sense, right? Yeah, on the West so I guess it's, it's to be expected. But, uh, no, it's always really interesting to just watch him. He feels like he's jazzed for these games, but at the same time, I think that he's, like, yeah, like he sees the game so well, moves moves the puck, and he plays, he plays on both ends of the ice so well. Yeah, is there anything else that I really want to Gustafsson coming in cold and he holds the fort and it wasn't like it was easy minutes either going into overtime and then a shootout. No. I thought he looked really good. There was one scary, like after Decord went down, that was, that was a no contact scary moment. Well, okay, I was watching that. It just, what happened? Did he tweak his knee or, uh, it was, or his ankle or something on the play? It didn't look something like he like hit that, anything. It yeah. looked like he kind of just moved his leg from, like, that to that. I, I Obviously, yeah, I understand this is not a visual podcast, but, you know, when you move your leg from, yeah. like, on your knee to moving your leg to where your leg's straight. Yeah, and then then he crumpled. It was scary. And then uh, later in the game, uh, did you see what they took off? I think it was uh, Gustafsson's 
glove hand and it's just bleeding. <laughs> and Peter's like, oh no. And he's just like, yeah, that, sometimes I get stressed out and I don't feel my hands and we gotta warm them up. That happens. It's just like, dude, are you okay? Yeah. So I guess the one final comment I will make on this game, Christian Lannan, one assist in this game. I really like the fact that he's really found his confidence again at the NHL level. And some of the breakout plays he's making this, this is a guy over the last couple of games that I've really begun to notice when you see him handle the puck, he doesn't look like he's getting stopped. He doesn't look like he's making any bad decisions. He's making clear breakout passes right down the middle. It's working for him. I wish he would get more ice time because right now he, he, well, these games he was the poor bastard was tied to Eric Branson, so he only got nine minutes of ice in both these games. But I thought he looked good. He was definitely on the right side of the puck when he's moving. He's moving well, and he pat he breaks it out really well. So it's like I do like Christian Milan. It's just it's hard. One thing that I do notice is that he was a little stingier on defense, but I think. I hope that comes. Yeah, I think for myself, like, because we're talking about the sense on the back end, that top four without Goodbranson around is pretty much locked in right now. They, they have Shabbat, Zaitsev, Riley, Zub. Where where do you put them in that? Who do you take but, out of that? Do you take Riley out? Do you take... Well, you can't take Zaitsev or Zub out because they're both right shots. So really, he's a fifth defenseman at that point. He's a third pairing. Yeah. Well, actually, you know, I'm going to take take back my comments on uh, Will Lannan. He was fantastic in limited ice and defense as well as offense. I'm going to take that back. Like, I think it's just, uh, if he does win back DJ Smith's trust, that'd be fantastic. And I think that, uh, I think, like, the, those games in Vancouver, he looked great. I thought, and, he, I thought he looked really good against Vancouver as yeah. well. What I, I guess, like, the one thing I wouldn't mind seeing is uh, if Josh Brown doesn't work out, Give Branson some try on his preferred side. Give Eric Branson some time on his preferred side. Yeah, because I was reading some stuff down in, I don't want to say Belleville, because they're actually playing in Ottawa right now in the A, is that he's looking really good again. So maybe this could be like a Batherson situation from last year. Remember when he went down, he looks fantastic, came back and found his confidence. Yeah, and uh, if that's the case, and uh, and they let Branson play on the, like, the right side, and he comes back and plays really well. Shabbat, Branstrom, Zub, Riley, Willan, and Zaitsev could be a pretty good NHL defense core. Yeah, it's it won't be a long-term core when you think that Bernard Docker, Sanderson, and a few other guys are coming up. But Yeah, but it would be a respectable. Very much so. And, like, I think the forwards are, like, the only guy that I'm really questioning at center right now is Chris Tierney. He's good as a fourth liner, and that's about it. Yeah, he has um, games that he, that he looks Hull, good, but yeah, other games he's just kind of there. He's kind of there, and uh, he's not even that great defensively, all things considered. Uh, I think that uh, once Colin White can get that injury bug bear off him, and it did rear its head again, Colin White only played 11 minutes this game. Like, I think down the center for next year, barring any surprise people coming up, like, Mid, like if Shane Pinto comes up or something, like going down the center with uh, Norris White, 
Bishop and someone else, or mm-hmm. honestly, you've got a pretty decent center core. So, Tim, I don't have any more comments to make on these games if you want to head off to the close for another evening. Yeah, well, I guess you probably want one more NHL caliber center down there. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see what Ottawa... Because I think Ottawa looks good in the next few years. One really funny note. If you if you get mad at DJ Smith's deployments, and we all do, you gotta see the shit that Travis Green did this game. He did the DJ Smith with his uh, 11 and 7, and he played his 7th defense. You want to know how long he played his 7th defenseman? Let me, let me guess. Let me guess. Six minutes. Less. Five. Less. Three. Less. Oh my god. How how many seconds did he play him? Two, two minutes and 28 seconds. So basically, he was on the ice for a Ramon song, is what you're saying. Yeah, pretty much. And then Zach McEwen played eight minutes. So... Travis Green went out there with 18 players. God, this is... And you know what? This is just like going back to Guy Boucher all over again. This is the Canucks yeah. version of that. And the only reason the Canucks won that is Thatcher Demko posted point nine four. <laughs> oh, good God. Like, good Jesus God. fucking Christ. Like, the Canucks were basically non-existent. Why is Travis Green all of a sudden becoming DJ Smith? I don't know. It's really funny. Oh, and uh, Ottawa just beat Calgary two two to one. Haha! <laughs> the Flames lost to a four string goalie. Can we fire their goaltender? Sorry, can we fire their coach again? Yes. Ha ha ha! Yes. Yes. Well, guys, thank you so much for listening to the Third Line Plug Sensecast. I hope you've enjoyed it because, believe me, Tim and I love recording it for you. We're on the National Podcast Network. You can find our page on nationalpodcast.network. You can find our links to iTunes, SoundCloud, and Google Play. We're also on Twitter. At Third Line Plug is our Twitter handle. Tim is at M91HoneyBadger. I'm at GreatWhiteGipster, G-R-8-W-Y-T-E, Gipster. If you want to shoot us an email to talk about the games, top of the hour, or... You want to give me a quick shout out about how, what your thoughts are on a baconator, bacon melt cheese combo? Choose an email, through the plugsuscats at gmail.com. Okay, Tim, so that we might got. Have been the most awkward description of a burger I've ever heard. Well, you know what, Tim? You got to realize how hard it is sometimes to think of stuff to close out with. I'm like, how do my brain compartments just not work? And it's like, uh, how exactly do I describe that? Although it would be great, Honestly, though. fair. It would be so good, though. So, Tim, we got three games to talk about this week. We've got tonight's victory over the Calgary Flames. First, in... in uh, fuck. Tonight's game versus Calgary, which we ended up winning. Wednesday, also, we're playing the Calgary Flames at home. And Thursday, Battle of Ontario in Ottawa versus the Leafs. Which can mean only one thing, Tim. Let's go. We're sticking around for the war. Until next week, guys. I am your host, Taylor Gibson. Go Sims, guys. Woo!